Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rana McBerto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of our show. Today we have a special guest, especially in a day when we're losing Brother Trump and we are gaining Brother Biden. We have joining us today is Cliff Oxford here to discuss his third book, Redneck Reverie, the, the rationale for the Trump phenomenon, which combines data-driven insights and real-life experiences to explain Donald Trump's election to the White House and the intersection with rural cultures across America. Having lived his life among both country folks and the elite, Cliff has the exact insights needed to not only help explain how we got here, but to provide guidance on the road moving forward. And let me tell you something, brother. Welcome aboard Politics Then Right. Thank you so much for having us. You, you, you did a very good summary of my life. I'm going to work some of that into my bio. Thank well, you, you know something? Let me, t- let me tell you something. I want solutions. I, I, I'm a, look, I'm one of those left-wing progressive guys that believe in the things that I believe in, but want to go over there to red country and hug my brothers and sisters and say, hey, we can get this stuff done. And I'm trying to find folks like you and others who have the same thoughts that say, hey, this is what's really going on in red America. So I'm going to, before I get into your book, I'm going to ask you a simple question. What the hell is happening in red America? Well, um, you know, by the way, uh, if the city folks and country folks ever get together, you know, we call it from the uh, hollow, uh, from the holler uh, to the urban areas, uh, th- that's going to really change the country. Um, so that let's just set that aside. I, I agree with you on that. There's a lot of similarities between the urban areas and the rural areas if you can get past the emotional stuff. But um, what is happening is, uh, you know, if you read the book, The Coup, what happened uh, on January the 5th or 6th, uh, where they took over the Capitol, if you read the book, you start to understand, hey, it was wrong, it was a siege. But you can't say, after reading this book, uh, you know, you don't understand, because these are people that were... uh, have been disenfranchised and it was by an economic coup in 1982 that started in 1982 with the air flight controllers that went on to NAFTA. And you basically say to these people, we can't afford to pay you 20 bucks an hour. You're going to work for $8 an hour and you're going to buy your daily products you need from the dollar store and your children are going to get on opioids. So I, I would ask the people, if, if someone came and gave you that deal, would, there, would you want some, uh, you know, uh, some payback, if, if for lack of a better word? Um, now, that's what's going on in rural America. That's, the people going to the Capitol is a remnant of that. They're not the center of that. They're not, I tell people, hey, the rednecks didn't show up in the Capitol because it's a work day. We had, they had to work during the middle of the week. Um, but the whole what's happening in rural America is that you took these people that were apolitical, they were very vulnerable, they worked at one job, and when you took their job, 
you've got to understand this. If, if, you, if you take my job in Atlanta, I can go find another job. I'm mobile. I can go, I'll move anywhere. This is not the deal that Franklin Delano Roosevelt cut with these people. He said, if you vote Democratic, we'll keep you a job. And you've got to admit that contract was broken. I admit that 100%. And, and, and let, me, let me first, so that you can see where I'm coming from, give you a phrase that I use on my show all of the times. And it goes as follows. When we unite the ghettos, the barrios, and Appalachia, we would have taken over the plutocracy. Yes. Do that, you follow that? I, I totally agree with that. And that's the next great leader of America, the next Abraham Lincoln, the next Roosevelt will do that. We'll be able to do that. And that's when you'll have the great America again. Now, it's interesting. I didn't read your entire book. I, I went on to Amazon and started going through some chapters. And then I saw the chapter that said the coup. And then I turned around and I said, wait a minute, but this book wasn't written. This book was written before January 6th. Then I went ahead and read stuff. And I read that you brought up Patco, the Patco strike and all of that. And ironically, that you started with the Patco strike was interesting to me, given that that power play was made by a Republican, a conservative uh, president that effected that thing that says, okay, we're breaking the unions. We're going to break those things, which ensured that you had a certain amount of payment. I bring that up for one reason, because we have made a lot of what's going on in rural America an economic issue. By the way, I go against many of the progressive intelligentsia into really believing it is an economic issue. But I think other factors played in that the, pup, the, the puppeteers used on rural America that they all fell for. What I call, we call the, the election the big lie. I call the totality of what the right does to rural America the huge lie. Uh, let me, I, want to, I, I want you to expand on that, if you will, and then I'll tell you exactly what I mean if you don't expand it as I think you would. Oh, yeah, I wrote in the book. Uh, and by the way, this book was not a pro-Trump book or an anti-Trump book. I know, I know. I do know that. that. So, yeah, Ronald Reagan, uh, and, uh, and to really understand who backed Ronald Reagan uh, was understands what he did. Don't look at Ronald Reagan's rhetoric. Uh, you have to look at what he did. And uh, he started uh, the economic coup, and he tested the waters. If America would have pushed back and the unions would have pushed back, they would have never came forward with NAFTA. So you can say it was started by Reagan and it was finished off by Clinton, a Democratic president signing NAFTA. And by the way, I'm a business guy. I love global trade. I, but you just don't sign global trade agreements with no environmental standards and say, Guess what, rural America? You're now going to compete with a Chinese worker living in a cardboard box. That's who you're going to compete with tomorrow, and that's what they and that's what Clinton did when he signed that. So um, it's been and and it was all because of wages were getting too high for the for the uh, for the for the stock market to make a lot of money. They had to take wages down. And, and they basically said, that guy in rural America, we can't afford to pay you 20 bucks an hour. But I don't, look, I don't want, to, do you, 
that guy in rural America, that guy in urban America, that guy in exo exurb America. I, I think it's it's um it's the Americans in general, working class Americans, and when I say working class American, I'm not talking figuratively the working class America everybody think about, which is white America in, uh, let's say, in Appalachia, white America in, in, in the Midwest or anything. I'm talking about all working people got screwed by the establishment. The establishment not being just the Republican establishment, but the Democratic establishment as well. And you, you pointed it out very well when you stated that Donald Trump tested the waters and, and, and Clinton signed NAFTA. That is a perfect instantiation of the establishment my concern is and and explain to me why my concern is the addiction of the uh the rural america and right to support a support policies that can be proven materially to hurt them uh you've been there you've lived there why i can tell you why and i don't think anybody else has told you why or told anybody why, but here is the why. It's the value system of rural America. And it's not, let's get away from the religion and all that. There's a, there is a value system there that I don't want to be involved in your politics. I want to be left the hell alone. I want to go do this job with a willing hand, although I don't enjoy it. I don't supposed to enjoy this job. And then I get home and I do what in, the, what in the heck I want to do. And that is really fundamental to them. I want to be left alone. And if you, and I don't want to be told what I should believe. Don't tell me I should be believed. I should think about this way on gay marriage. Don't think away, don't tell me all that. And the Democrats, because they sold out on NAFTA, they have to do their coalition building and they go down the, a checklist. Uh, you should do this and you should feel bad about this. And it became this whole political correctness. Uh, and that is what turns off the people. Bernie Sanders probably has a better economic solution for these people. But if you listen to Bernie, he goes, join my revolution. They don't want to join a revolution. They want to be left alone. And, but, I mean, aren't they mutually exclusive, though, Cliff? Uh, yes, because, hey, look, look at Trump's uh, convention, his first convention speech. I can do this all myself. I, people would go, he's a dictator. I, the people in rural America, that's what they, that's fine with them. If you give them a job and they can live their life and you leave them alone. That's, that's preferable to all this political correctness and political activity and agenda. Uh, so that's what the Democrats don't know how to communicate. And let me tell you, they can't go there anymore and say, we, 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 what a great democratic message would be, we kept those jobs here. We found a way to do it. And that's why you have, they can't, they can't say that. They go there and go, Oh, we couldn't do anything about it. The jobs were going to leave anyway. Okay, here, here's the deal. I think that is what both the Democrats and Republicans, the, the establishment Democrats and Republicans do right now. Here, here's where I, I, I think there is really common ground. Uh, you, you just said these, these 
uh, and these rural Americans, they want a job. They don't mind a dictator. They just want a job. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. Okay? Yes. That doesn't compute. They, they don't mind a dictator as long as they have a job, but they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. I'm going to tell you that I think it's a little bit deeper than that, but I want to hear if you don't think that is a, if that is sort of a, uh, what's the word uh, that those, th those things don't compute. I know to, th to them, it may at this point, but it doesn't. I, I, and that's why I think there are other factors that I want to talk about other than don't tell me what to do, because it is not about what don't tell me what to do. It's about who I don't want telling me what to do. Maybe look what, look what the dictator was telling them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave you alone. You know what? And he, he said that specifically to them. And when he, I'm going to leave you alone, I am protecting these jobs. I'm putting tariffs on products, which we were told, hey, one cent of tariff would wreck the whole economy. He proved that wasn't true. That, that That's not true. It, but, and so, and so but who paid the tariff? The totality of it. If you look at the totality, he was now. Here's the problem: you don't never once the dictator gets control, you never know what he's <laughs> going to do. <laughs> but to get in the hole, to get you in the Venus flytrap where he closes down on you, then you've been had. That's the whole dictator. Look at what Saddam Hussein told the people when he when he before he became a dictator. I'm gonna let you leave your lives. So I'm not saying it was the truth, what he was saying. I'm going to leave you alone. But in the, in the totality, I'm going to keep your job here. I'm going to leave you alone. And I can do this all, all myself. So look at the totality of the message. And you start to see that it does, it does weave together. Now, I, 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 th I don't think I agree with that. But that, that's not important here. Um, what is important, however, is I think uh, I, I want to know what is what will it take for rural America to decide that it's not going to look at these those issues that you're talk of, talking about if it actually hurts them. What is it going to take? For, because you said, okay, they want to be left alone. They don't want to be told what to do. In other words, they don't want to. They don't want to be told that gay marriage is okay, or that they, they must support gay marriage. Okay, uh, the, the, is the converse true? Do they want to be able to tell the gay person who wants to get married that they shouldn't? Well, I tell you, you, you you're, you're you're picking up some rightful contradictions. Because let me give you this example before I answer your question. I will see my high school classmates, many of them, most of them still live right there. 95% mm -hmm. of them still live right there. Yep. They will go on Facebook and rant and rave about Obamacare. Mm -hmm. They will rant and say, you know, this is awful. But when they get sick, they're the first ones on it. Right. They don't, you would think in the hospital, you would say, you know, this is kind of great care I'm getting here for free. Shoot, I should advocate for this. But that's not the uh, analysis they do. <laughs> so let me stop you right there, because that is where somebody like you should come in, right? Because better than anybody else, somebody who writes a book called A Redneck Reverie, The Rationale for the Trump Phenomenon, you are the one who, because uh, to put it, I don't want to sound elitist, but to put it bluntly, 
what happened is uh, th these people don't really have good critical thinking skills to move forward in life. In other words, they have, and I, I'm telling you this, I'm not tell, I would never say this to rural America ever, <laughs> You're right, but I'm right. telling you this. Um, there's not a lot of critical thinking skills there, but you know who has good critical, critical thinking skills? You do. Well, and, if you, if you, thank you. But, and, but I'm not done. I'm not ahead, done. Go you go have ahead. good critical thinking skills. You are the perfect conduit having lived it and to be able and would be respected in an area like that. But what I've found, and you explain it to me better if you can, please, is that people like you in general are go into these rural areas and monopolize on their ignorance and use it for a better good. And I can give you a list of senators, a list of Congress people who know that Medicare for all is better for rural America, it's better for the opioid epidemic, it's better for all these issues. I can prove that mathematically it'll cost them less. But they won't believe me. They would believe you. Um, well, first of all, if you read the book, uh, the, I have a solutions chapter in the book. Mm -hmm. Please I hadn't read, read that chapter. Please read the solutions chapter, because I said in the solutions, this is not about tax cut. This is not about tax incentives. The only way you're going to turn this whole culture that we have lost uh, around is direct government payments. I don't care if you got to go in there and give full employment to them. Um, that, you said that in the in the end of the book. Yes, I did. You know, the, you know, we have part. That is actually. There, there's a direct payments. We have, we have that as a progressive policy. I've got it in the book. Yes. Now, uh, and this goes to, uh, you, know, the, you know, some of my conservative friends say, well, we'll give them some tax incentives. My governor here in the state of Georgia, let's set up some, I said, there's nothing to incent right now. There's no, right. you, you got to go in with direct payments, give them a full employment and turn this thing around because, it's a far worse, and please read the chapter on the opioids. It's far worse than inner city of America has ever seen. I want to stop you right there because that, that, that is true what you're just saying. But here's an issue. Unfortunately, because of the way the crack ep epidemic in urban areas were covered and how the opioid epidemic is covered differently. One is treated as a medical issue. One is treated as a law enforcement issue. I think, believe it or not, that is consequential in how it, in how it has grown over in, in, middle, in rural America. Your thoughts? You're saying it was a law enforcement over a medical issue? In, no, I'm saying in urban America, it was considered a law enforcement error. I mean, issue. In rural America, it's considered a medical issue. And given that in, in the, the, the places that get money are, is law enforcement under our current type government, whereas medical stuff is not treated as well, it actually hurts the rural areas that much more. I, I agree with you on that. And, you know, there is uh, probably a tinge of racism uh, in, in, in that ultimate outcome. But we did see the law enforcement was a total failure. They got a great, they got a great excuse. Uh, they can say, look, we tried law enforcement and then it was a tremendous failure. So now we got to try rehabilitation. Um, 
one first instance, many of the lives were black. In the second instance, many of the lives are white. So right. it's convenient, but it's probably true. It, instead of an inconvenient truth, it's probably a convenient truth. Um, so that is uh, where I see with that. What was your other question? No, no, I, I think that, I, that, I, that actually answers both. You, you agreed with, with that medical, we don't put a lot into medical care, and you also talked about the racial issue. So that, that completes it. Yeah, you know, um, I, I wrote in the book that, uh, you know, white liberals tend to underestimate their own racism and overestimate the racism in everybody else. Um, uh, if you look at, um, and I, I write that in there, and I, I write in the book, in these policies, there's a thread of racism, look, that, that there is, but it doesn't, it's not as high as give me a job and leave me alone. You know, but, it's, it's interesting that you spoke about the white liberal uh, or white progressive. I, I go to a lot of white progressive conferences, and I go to a few conservative and uh, while conservatives go out of their, while white conservatives go out of their way to try to make me comfortable, to prove to me that they're not racist, uh, the white progressives don't give a damn and they, they have their own cliques and sometimes I'm the forgotten man in certain, in certain areas. So that is something that I've spoken about, written about at Daily Coast a, a whole lot about people are people. I found good conservatives, bad conservatives, good progressives, <laughs> right. bad progressives. Right. You know, you I, I imagine I'm talking a, to a good conservative right now. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I'm, cons uh, you, I'm really an independent thinker. Mm -hmm. um, but I know one thing, in and in you, you've never seen a more click, closer click than a group of white liberals together. I mean, you're talking about, um, uh, they are, you know, uh, send their kids to the same school. They, they do everything together, but then they, you know, tell everybody else how racist they are. Um, but um, that, is, so that is the, uh, there, there is an element of racism that's there. But, uh, and, and, I, and I write in the book, in rural America, it's, what's even deeper than racism is they're opposed to any change. I think that's one thing that yeah. no one understands. Conservative. That. That's what it means. Conserve how things are. They want to, they want, and, 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 and even when they're bad for you, they want to conserve it. I mean, that, that, that's some of the lack of critical analysis you've talked about, but uh, just don't change. So if I'm an African American and I'm and and I'm in the rural area, if I talk like you, act like you, think like you, I'm you. I'm 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 I I, I you're welcomed. You just can't go in there and start saying uh, things that are different than they are and think different than they are. But um, but that's uh, that that that's. The white liberals and Nancy Pelosi and they under um, they over they think the whole they write off all their faults by saying that whole area is just racist. It's all deplorables and they're all racist, and uh, that's because they don't have a message for those folks anymore. 
Well, you know, what, what is interesting is I do think, I don't think there is a message for those folks. I think there is a way of getting the message to those folks. And uh, that is where I think, first of all, the pieces of your book that I read, damn good, first of all, let me just tell you that, folks, the name of the book is A Redneck Reverie, The Rationale for the Trump Phenomenon. Um, I, I think the, the, a lot of the book is insightful now, of what I've read so far. But where it comes to, I, I'm, a, I'm an engineer by training, and I only believe in numbers, and I also understand humanity. And I think, I, I think where we may differ is that, you know, I think we need to tr separate progressive values from the progressives who create them. A lot of the progressives who create them couldn't live to the standards of what progressivism really is. You follow? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Sure. And yes. So, but what I think are these values, however, under the right context with the right uh, messenger, I think would get to the rural America and make a better country. And I tell you what, you actually stated it yourself in talking about direct payments, what we call basic income. If we started that and we built on that so that these people could see that a lot of how they were indoctrinated, government, government don't work. Government is the problem where they can actually see that, no, government is a solution because if you believe our society, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a better union, that is government. And I think if we started preaching and teaching that and also making sure that government works and having a messenger who can do it vis-a-vis -vis Cliff Oxford and others. I think we would be able to solve some problems. Yeah, that's a much better message than showing up and saying, you know, um, all the political correctness and how awful you are, which the Democrats basically lectures and chastises and tells them how bad they are. I think if you want to do this, and this is going to be a brave candidate running for president, you want those rural voters to change, show up with your checkbook and say, you know what? we're going to give you full employment. We're going to bring your jobs back here, even if we have to pay for it. And I, and I put an idea in the book. Uh, you know, many of the jobs there are paying, let's say nine to $10 an hour. The government could have a program to say, we're going to raise you. We're, we're going to pay you $20 an hour. Your company's paying you 10 and we're going to true up just like the stimulus check. We're gonna stimulate your job for two years at 10 and let you make $20 an hour. And by that time, you should, be, you should show, cause we still gotta tell people you gotta work. By that time, your hard work and your experience, that employer may not let you go. They may say, it's just worth it to us to keep you here for $20 an hour. But there's gotta be a lot of creativity in solving these problems. I, I come from the business side and entrepreneurial side and all of our big, how do you beat the incumbents is you come up with great creative ideas. And that's something sorely missing from the government sector is creative ideas where it's a win-win. Now well, look, you know, I'm it's not advocating, let me make sure this is clear. Yes. I'm not advocating to go in there with the checkbook and say, you don't have to work. We're just going to send you a check every month. I'm not advocating that. I'm not for that. I am saying, you know what? If you get up and go to work every day and you, we, we've got to true up, the government's got to true up 
And that sort of thing will get their attention and you could get the rural voters in. Now, Cliff, let, let me tell you something. I, look, we're getting closer to close. So what, here's what I'd like you to do. Give a, give a quick synopsis of your book. Uh, and then I want to ask you one last question. Two last questions. Sure. Well, the book is a not an anti-Trump book or a pro-Trump book. It's the, 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 there is a political rationale for the Trump phenomenon. And that's what I describe. It's not about a bunch of racist people. Who's, there's an element of that. But the people, there was 2.7 million voters who got off their couch and put Trump in office that hadn't voted in the previous election. And if you look at these people, it, they were all hurt by an economic coup and it was orchestrated and it wasn't a right on the Capitol like we saw last time. It was a lot more crueler. It came in the middle of the night and it took their jobs away because from 1970 to 1980, the stock market went up only 1.2%, 700 points. It goes up 700 points in a day now, 7,000 points. So the economic coup that they said, we can't, we got we to gotta hurt wages in the country. And where, the job, where they could do that, and they did it more than they did in the inner city, they went to these rural towns and they took those jobs from $20 an hour to $2 an hour in China. And that was what created the climate. And this is very important. I, that created the climate and conditions for a Donald Trump, a reality star celebrity, to be elected president of the United States. And that was created over 40 years. So when the media says, how can they vote for this man? I can tell you, the book tells you exactly how they can vote for the man and, and the rationale for it and what is really hurting the country. So that, and then I, at the chapter, I provide solutions. The final part of the book, I grew up in the Okie Swamp and I grew up in redneck heaven and it was country sunshine. And now when I go home, it's country squalor. And you say, and I talk to the people there and they go, Cliff, white privilege my ass. I'm sitting here living in a trailer park. My kids are, don't have jobs. And this was all taken away from us by people in Washington, D.C. Cliff, I love that last part that you just said. To which I say, whenever we unite the ghettos, the barrios, and Appalachia, we would have cleaned out the plutocracy. But what the vote that rural America has been making has actually done much less for them, and I think you would have to agree, than would have otherwise if we got progressives, not establishment, if we got progressives in power who believe in all the items that you just spoke about, from basic income when necessary, to making sure we have livable wages, to making sure those people have health care, all those particular issues pushed specifically by progressives are what we are actually looking at. And the only kind of spokesperson that can help that kind of unity is when we get guys like you out there who actually understand those people in, in that region to actually join the fold. So, um, Thank you very much uh, for that. What, give me a last comment as far as what would you like me to ask that I didn't ask you? 
Oh, you know, you did, you did a very good job. You got right to the heart of the matter. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think what's next, what's going to happen next, it would be a great, great question. I'm looking at doing an uh, update to the book. My publisher wants me to write uh, what happened, <laughs> what happened and what's next. And maybe call it what's next for the rednecks. Well, I'll have what's next for the rednecks right here on Politics Done Right. It's been my honor to have Cliff Oxford here. He's a businessman. He's He likes to call himself kind of a redneck, but we know that's not real, <laughs> you know. But um, we have a lot to talk about, Cliff. I, I, I want to pick your brain on a few things for a few things that I write myself. Uh, sure. Thank you for having been on Politics Done Right. All right. Thank you. Okay. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.